We've got some big news. We're starting a new podcast community, and we want you to be a part of it. Head over to patreon.com slash femfreak to join the fun. The scene where you see her fall down and get back up at the end, like towards the end of the movie. Yeah. Reminded me so much of something that happens in Buffy. And I'm not going to spoil oh, it God. because I still believe that one day Carolyn and Ebony will watch this fucking show. Oh, but yeah. like it definitely. Dream on, Dreamweaver. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is episode 68 and I am your hostess with the mostest, Anita Sarkeesian. And I'm joined by my fellow intergalactic heroes, Ebony Adams. Hey. And <laughs> Carolyn Pettit. Hello. Wow, Ebony's really barely holding on there. Is that, is that what your interspace communication sounds like? Yeah. Also, listen, it's hard work keeping the galaxy on the up and up. That's true. It's true. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love, or alternatively, we're the feminist killjoys coming for your media, depending on your perspective. Today, we're going to be talking about the latest Marvel blockbuster, Captain Marvel. And as always, we'll finish the show by each sharing a little something in What's Your Freak Out? Let's get to it. Hello, everybody. Hey. Hey. So I was generally pretty pleased with daylight savings time happening, but I've just discovered an issue with daylight savings time, which is that that now, you know, at the time that we record, when I sit in my spot to record the podcast, the sun is just like bearing down right on me through the window. And that's going to be tough pretty, in the summer. Yeah, it's pretty unpleasant. Um, so that's cool. Carolyn, you need to sacrifice for the rest of us to have daylight after 5 p.m., okay? I mean, I'm thrilled about that. Like, <laughs> I, I really do not like the early the early nights at all. I like the longer days. But yeah. nonetheless, this is, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm being cooked here for, for this. I just want our listeners to know. Thank you for your sacrifice. What I am going through to be able to deliver this uh, glorious podcast to them um, week e- after week. Ebony, you got, you got any uh, problems recording today, too, that you'd like the listeners to know? I always got complaints. Folks can probably hear the construction noise that's perpetually going on in the background of my Keanu Reeves memorial studio. So it is what it is. <laughs> Carol, do you feel like Thor in, was it Avengers Infinity War, where he has to, like, hold that... Um, that door open on the space station and the, the star is like burning him and he has to keep it open. I think that's a perfect analogy, actually, Ebony. <laughs> yes. That's exactly, basically what's happening here in my apartment right now. Oh. All right, Carol, if you can muster the energy to save the planet and share us some entertainment news this week, we would really appreciate it. I have a feeling it. this week's entertainment news is really going to bring my spirit down. Well, you better have the... Two bads to the one positive. If not, I have one. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, all right. So, Phil, just uh, fill this up with like uh, elevator music. I, no, I just need to. I just need to find. Um, this is the kind of stuff Anita that I want Phil to save, and then we just release it all in a very special bonus. We might need to do that. Mm-hmm. All right. My first story this week. Is about a, a game that was going to be released on Steam, the largest, you know, online distributor of computer games in the world, the largest like online marketplace by far. Uh, a game called Rape Day was poised to be released. Um, 
I, I believe it's a game about like you go around raping women after a zombie apocalypse or something. I don't actually I don't care. Like I, all I know is that it's a game that glorifies rape and that, you know, requires you to rape people. And so that's all I need to know to, to know that I don't need to know anything more about this game. But um, so Steam ultimately uh, came out and said, you know, after a, a, a growing public conversation about about this, uh, ultimately said that they are not going to release the game. However, the 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 statement they they released uh, to sort of explain their decision really left a great deal to be desired. You know, it, it basically um, as uh, as Rowan Kaiser, who quote tweeted it, um, said in his tweet, um, you know, uh, basically, it sounds like they're basically saying we're not going to release Rape Day because we're afraid we might get sued, you know, not for any like moral objections to the game. The statement said in part, um, uh, much of our policy around what we distribute is and must be reactionary. We simply have to wait and see what comes to us. We then have to make a judgment call about any risk it puts to Valve, our developer partners or our customers. After significant fact-finding and discussion, we think Rape Day poses unknown costs and risks and therefore won't be on Steam. We respect developers' desire to express themselves, and the purpose of Steam is to help developers find an audience, but this developer has chosen content matter and a way of representing it that makes it very difficult for us to help them do that. So, again, like, so, just a, just a, oh, a, a gross, like, statement that really boils it down to yeah, you know, uh, in the we're afraid of releasing this in the marketplace because of the possible repercussions. Not um, we don't want to re- allow this game to be published on our platform because of what it's fucking about. So it's a business decision, <laughs> you know, like not the fact that this game is a fucking war crime, but you know our liability. It's so frustrating that like <laughs> ah, we've been trying so hard for like to improve the games industry. And in some ways that is happening. And then shit like this happens. And you're like, what? Like, this is the most easiest thing that you could deal with. Like, this is the the easiest solution to this, the easiest statement that you could make to this. Like, it's not, it's not a gray area. It's very cut and dry here. And like, the fact that they couldn't even be like, cool, we don't want to encourage sexual violence. Like a game that is exclusively and made to glorify sexual violence is not something we want to support. Cool. End of story. Like, what? No, instead it's like, no, no, no. Hey, look, we we support your desire to express yourself. Like, even if your your expression is basically saying, yeah, you know, rape is awesome, or I don't know what you take away from I will from say this, th- too, is that they would never have done anything about it if people didn't like speak up like the activist part of this is really critical and i just want to encourage folks to keep putting pressure on companies so like even though steam handled it really badly like they wouldn't have done anything if people hadn't had an uproar about it to begin with yeah absolutely um all right my my next uh story is about um so ubisoft has a new game the division two right and these games are Tom Clancy, you know, they have the Tom Clancy name, Tom Clancy's The Division. Um, and I don't know, the, the, the plot is some nonsense about like a, like a virus that's, I think it's like a computer virus or something that basically cripples all the, the systems in, you know, our banks and our, our, our 
infrastructure and everything and basically brings about the de- the the decline uh, and the collapse of civilization within the United States. Somehow it's like localized to the United States or parts of the United States. So uh, Ubisoft put out a tweet that, um, you know, from their official The Division account that said, um, uh, it said Mexico responds to, you know, growing crisis within the United States. And then it's a, a uh, press release, uh, you know, a, f- a phony, of course, press release from Mexico about what's happening, you know, in the phony U.S. of um, of the division. And um, it says in part, um, uh, Today, Mexico announced a state of emergency due to instability within the United States government, the risk of those fleeing into Mexico, and the possible spread of the virus that has crippled Washington, D.C., Along with the announcement, Mexico approved fully funding a border wall and will begin work immediately. The border is closed. So they had a little fun doing like a, you know, the tables have turned kind of thing where like, oh, in this alternate reality, you know, situation, it's, oh, you know, Mexico is the country that's freaking out about the United States, you know, a a flood of refugees or whatever and built, you know, panicking and building a border wall to keep out all the, the potential, the Americans who might bring the potential virus into their country. I love that Swedes are making this game. <laughs> like, yeah, this is, this is the direction that they're going to go. Cool. 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 Yeah. There was a, and the, the like launch ad, uh, the launch trailer for the game was, uh, you know, it's a it's pretty clumsy because it, it takes uh, Bob Dylan's song um, Masters of War, you know, which is is definitely, you know, intended by Dylan to be like an anti-war anthem. Like it's very clear or it should be very clear. But, you know, you have that song like accompanying um, uh, accompanying uh, th- this, you know, trailer of with all these glorified uh, shots of guns and people being killed and explosions and everything. So anyway, all right. So my final story today um, is uh, actually, you know, a, a, a good one, but um, I guess. So let me start by saying that um, a few days ago, before the release of Captain Marvel, um, I got a tweet, you know, out of the blue from some guy. And I tried to go back to to, to reread the tweet, but the account has since been suspended. But basically, the tweet said something like, um, you know, we, he, this this person, this obviously man or, or boy, guy, was clearly, uh, anyway, part of a group of people. Or, um, and he said something like, we are going to tank the box office of Captain Marvel. Like, um, and... And so, like, so um, since being released, um, uh, uh, had a, a historic, you know, $455 million global, um, you know, box office take. Like, what's so frustrating to me about these situations is that I don't want to care about, like, how much, how many hundreds of millions of dollars the Disney Corporation is raking in. Like, I don't right. want to be <laughs> right? invested in that at all. And I kind of hate or resent these guys for making me feel like, oh, you know, please do well, movie, please do well, so that they don't think that they've achieved something here. But but really, like the true measure of a kind of victory will be when, you know, eventually, you know, a, a, a female fronted superhero movie 
comes out and, you know, it's just kind of okay. And it does just kind of okay because it maybe just doesn't look as good as other ones or it's whatever. It's just not a great movie. And it's not viewed as a like a referendum on the public's, you know, interest in in like female fronted films. But it's just looked at as a movie that, you know, was kind of mediocre or whatever. Yeah. <sighs> Absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously, we were going to watch this movie to discuss it on the podcast, and we wanted to do it in a timely manner. Um, were that not the case, I personally probably wouldn't have seen it on opening weekend. I would have seen it because I'm a huge Marvel movie fan. But um, but I probably would have, you know, waited a little bit because I hate people and I hate being out in public. So whatever. Um, but yeah, there's always that concern that like, if you don't go opening weekend and contribute to the box office, then, you know... Um, then somehow you're like, you're either complicit, you know, you're complicit one way or another in this larger cultural conversation. And yeah, I, I resent that too, you know? Like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want my sort of like movie going decisions to be fraught with that much fucking baggage. Sometimes I just want to go or not go to a movie, you know? It's also the, like, you know, I, the, the bullshit of like, vote with your dollar. What about people who don't have dollars or that wanted to go see it or don't have time or can't get childcare or whatever? Like it's we can't judge. Uh, I don't think our activism should be tied to the amount of money that we have. Right. And I feel like the box office numbers are a part of that, which I think is unfortunate. Also, man, it's been years of like like it's it's really frustrating to me that we're still at a place where like there's so much pressure put on female fronted films right that like this was a con this was this happens every single time a movie starring a woman comes out right that like breaks you know that either makes it or doesn't make it in the box office and like i'm glad films are still being made and that it's not you know we're we're entering a different time period of media and whose stories get to be told but like this is such an old goddamn story it is but having said that i resent my dollars you know propping up this conversation i i was one of those people who took a lot of joy in the fact that like both black panther and captain marvel fucking killed it at the box office yeah so take your little tiny ass bootleg dollar store boycott you know because if anything <laughs> it, it just fueled you know greater success like my theater was packed and it was showing in like, you know, I was, went to a multiplex. It was showing in a, several theaters. It wasn't showing in all of them. But so many people tweeted about the fact that like their local theater, every screen was showing Captain Marvel and every screening was sold out, you know? And so like it or not, I do love that people kind of voted with their feet. I don't want to say voted with their dollars, but voted with their feet and brought their little, their little funky kids, you know, to the movie. There is a lot of talk about supporting independent media creators, and we think it's as valuable as ever these days to do just that. If you value smart, honest, feminist analysis, then come join our podcast community at patreon.com slash femfreak. Plus, you'll get access to some fun perks, including the Freakin' After Party, our weekly post-show bonus exclusively for our patrons. That's patreon.com slash femfreak. Yeah. Well, on that note, how about we talk about the movie? The latest blockbuster Marvel movie stars Captain Marvel, 
played by Brie Larson, who is such a delight always. Captain Marvel is a Kree warrior who quickly learns that everything she knows about herself and the war she is fighting is actually wrong. In fact, she is actually a U.S. Air Force pilot named Carol Danvers. And with the help from good old Nick Fury, they uncover secrets from the past. Yes, let's get into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you want me to start with a hair report? Because I had many thoughts. Ooh, we're going to bring in a little Star Trek Discovery movie. in here. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Give us a hair report, Ebony. I was really taken out of the movie often by Samuel L. Jackson's hairpiece in this film. And I just want to have a larger conversation, not here right now, but somewhere, somewhere, about how Black actors are just getting played by hair and makeup departments because that shit looked comical. If anything, he looked like he came from another planet. I could not handle it. I truly could not handle it. Okay, so, but here's the thing. So, hair hair aside, not aside, totally relevant, I the... The so Marvel ha- does this thing where they age actors down, right? And with CG, I see. <laughs> <laughs> this is a technical term, CG. Yeah. yeah, and um, and so they did it with Agent Coulson and Nick Fury, and like, it was done. I think they did it the best they've ever done it. Oh yeah, like it was actually disturbing how not like comical it was. Yeah, except for the hair, he looked Ex- great. Right. You know, and in fact, I pulled, so I went with Kid A, friend of the pod, Kronk, to see the film, and I made her take notes after the fact. I give this kid homework, and she hates me. Anyways, one of her notes was, uh, Samuel L. Jackson looks younger, I liked. (laughs) So that's the word from the 15-year-olds in the audience. Samuel L. Jackson look younger, I liked. (laughs) It was wild, because remember they did it to What's-His-Face in Gardens of the Galaxy 2, and you're like... Kurt Russell? Yeah, and you're like, ooh. No, he looked like putting with the skin on it. It didn't look right. But I was like, I mean, I feel like in order, like, every time we see it, it's it's done briefly. So we saw it in um, the Star Wars, which Star Wars movie was it where they did it to Leia? Um, the Last Jedi? Uh, oh, at the very end of Ro- of Rogue One. Where oh, was- yeah, yeah, right. And And like, it just doesn't, it's weird and it doesn't look good. So I feel like they must have, like figured out the technology to make a whole movie where like a supporting character that is very prominent is going to be CGI'd. Yeah. And we'll we'll see more of this. Like Martin Scorsese has a film coming out, you know, I think on Netflix uh, sometime later this year that's going to use it, it has uh, like Robert De Niro and Al Pacino in it and stuff. And I think it's a film that goes back and forth in times and it's going to use extensive make extensive use of de-aging on you know robert de niro so we'll see a lot more of this in the future and kind of be able to evaluate like how well is this actually working like um but i but for for the purposes of this film i thought it worked i thought it worked really well i did too but like is there a fear that this is going to be a thing that we do to female actors just to make them look younger, not because it's a part of going back in time in the story, but just because we value youth and women are not allowed to age. Well, it is now. I hadn't had that fear before, Anita, but thanks for putting that in my head. I mean, we already Photoshop, like, with CGI version of Photoshop with, like, like, all the Marvel movies have been doing this because the characters are aging and... Like they that doesn't look as cool for superheroes or whatever. Right. So like I'm just worried that this is if this becomes the norm, it's going to be the equivalent of Photoshop for, you know, magazines and stuff, which we've been like feminists have been fighting to 
reduce the amount of photoshopping that's happening. And so I'm like, do we need to start a fucking campaign to like let women get older? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So back to the movie. Yeah. Um, I liked it a lot, a lot more than I thought I would. I don't think it's the best Marvel movie, but I think it's in the top Marvel movies, like the top five for sure. Um, and I think for me, I'm looking forward to the next Captain Marvel because this one spent, you know, as it has to for the first in a franchise, spent a lot of time on lore and lore building, which I think they did pretty well. But like, it's still kind of like, OK, 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 OK. Um, so once the film switched out of lore into like action and like m- forward momentum, I was so with it. Like I was totally in- engaged. I had some problems with that aspect of the film as well, because uh, you know, I, I understand that, the, that this is a kind of an, a kind of an origin story, and it's basically supposed to kind of help us get a sense of who Captain Marvel is. And in fact, in this movie, it's largely about her trying to figure out who she is, um, and we kind of go on that journey with her. And uh, I, and that, and you know, I was I was interested in that, but I guess ultimately for me, um. I didn't really, you know, we see these flashes throughout the movie of, you know, her past memories. And, and there's that definitely that running theme of, you know, her as a, as a, as a girl and as a young woman, you know, constantly being told what she can't do and, and kind of getting up and like trying again. And that's definitely like, that definitely resonates powerfully. And it's a, it's a, it's a very effective image on screen, but also like ultimately, I, I didn't feel like we got any of the substance of like, okay, but who is Carol Danvers actually, you know, and she, she arrives at this moment where she's able to not um, hide herself anymore to not kind of uh, hold back, right. Her own potential and her own power. And, and I loved that. I did. I guess I just wish that we'd gotten some more specific, something, something, you know, because I still really don't feel like I actually know who Carol Danvers is as an individual. I think she's very effective as like a universal, like this kind of blank slate, you know, character. But I wanted a little bit more in the way of like specifics. Like, isn't there a isn't there a moment in uh, one of the flashbacks um, on like the go kart track where she says to her dad, like y- you let him drive and it sounds like she's maybe maybe like her older brother was drunk and drove and killed him and and died but we never hear anything about that again or did i yeah make i had that a question up? about that too no no i was also wondering who the he was um in that statement and it, we never came back to it yeah this this film seemed to be doing you know kind of a lot of things which as you point out anita these origin stories often have to do like they have to lay the groundwork um in a way that's going to um you know sufficiently allow people who know nothing about the lore that includes people like me to feel as if you know we kind of have a sense of what's going on like the context of the action but it also has to satisfy people who are fans um and who know this stuff already i'm i'm moving towards this place where i almost don't want things explained to me just get to the action and if i care enough about who so and so is then i will do the research and find that out um on my own or you can bring that in later we know this is setting up for a franchise this is not a one off right so either give me just getting to the action or you know as carol suggests you need to take a little bit more time fleshing out who this person carol danvers is because otherwise at the end of the movie I I just still have no idea who it is and why I should care that she's Carol Danvers and not you know um Veers you know like the two are still just enigmas to me 
I want to clarify too that when like when I'm like get to the action, I don't actually mean like the action action. I sort of uh, I meant the story, right? Like I really love stories about resistance. And so like, you know, I'm such a sucker for the we I was fighting on the wrong side this whole time and didn't know what was actually happening. And I've been like, you know, sort of brainwashed about who I am and what this war actually means and the jingoism that comes along with all of that. And so that was all really interesting to me. And like the, you know, it it happened. I was able to suspend my disbelief in terms of the fact that like she just believed him really quickly. Right. Like when he's like, hey, everything, you know, is wrong. Let me play you a tape. Right. Like, you know, I oh, although she got her memory back in that moment. Right. That's why she believed him. I think the recording triggered actual. Yes. OK, that's what happened. Because I was like, ah, I don't know how quickly you would turn. But so I liked that. And like, I, I feel you, too, Caro, in terms of we don't really see her do a lot. We hear about her doing a lot, which can be kind of troubling. So the scene where, um, uh, 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 uh oh, my God, her friend. Naomi na- Rambo uh, Maria. Maria Maria Rambo mm-hmm. um, where she is like I don't know who you are now but this is who Carol Danvers is and it's just this really emotional moment where she's like just because you have like fists of fire you were always bold and strong and risk taking and all of these things and like just you know this she she's like her hype man I really liked that but I also um, I hear what you're saying, Carol, and that, and I'm like, well, I would have liked to see her be that, <laughs> right? Like, I would have not just tell me that she's cool, show me that she's cool. I want to go back to the central uh, conflict between the Kree and the and the Scroll for just a moment and say that you know one thing I really liked about that, uh, I guess, is you know on, on the Kree side, right? You have you know you, you have Jude Law, you have Jaiman Honshu, you have Gemma Chan, you have all these like very, like, attractive or, you know, conventionally attractive people, right? Like, people who have basically been considered stunning. And, and you know, often in, like, Disney films, which this sort of is, like, the good guys are the really attractive ones and the bad guys are maybe not so much. So I guess I appreciated that the the scroll, which we would, you know, consider by our standards, like, you know, less attractive, certainly, than the Cree. Um, were the, you know, the quote unquote good guys. Um, I thought that was, I just, you know, I I appreciated that. I liked that too. And I also liked how at the end, um, and maybe I should preface this with, you know, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, but I also feel like it's a Marvel movie. Like what is, what spoilers are there? At this point, we know what's going to happen, right? (laughs) So, um, but at the end of the film, when we have, um, Oh God! the The name of the the scroll that Ben Mendelsohn plays. He and his partner are seated at the dinner table. Everything's been resolved, and you know the group is talking about where the scrolls are going to live. I really appreciated that. For at no point did people seriously entertain the suggestion that the scrolls should just like assimilate on Earth and you know start to look human and maintain that form. You know, it was like, no, you deserve a place where you can live as yourselves. I just, I thought that was really cool. I'm not saying that, you know, that was, you know, there was a larger point (laughs) about refugees and immigration in that moment, but I really appreciated that it wasn't like, you know what, if you really want to be accepted and you really want to live an easy life, it's better if you, you know, present as a white person. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciated that too. Uh, did you notice that your favorite Lee Pace is in this movie? Anita? Oh God, yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> Anita, I did. Not, you know, uh, I love him. N- not nearly enough Lee Pace in this movie. Not man. enough. I know. Okay, mm, so agree to disagree. So the um. I felt like the so uh, part of the pacing and and what we're talking about like the you know I feel like the second act is really where the movie shone or shined <laughs> sorry <laughs> shunned shined um, shined and I think like for me the humor worked better in the second act too so in the first act I was like okay that's funny okay whatever but then in this in the second act like I was laughing out loud like there were definitely moments where I was my I went to see it really early so there were like four people in my theater uh, like extremely early in the morning I don't even know why movies are available that early but I was I love it yeah it was great but I was like cracking up and and there's only like one other person laughing in the theater and I thought like the so you know moments like where um the uh, the Skrill guy, um, the, the sort of main one, I can't remember his name, was like, why would I turn into a filing cabinet? <laughs> like, yeah. That whole conversation I thought was really charming. And it wasn't like, I can't. It's just that stupid. Um, <laughs> and the... Um, the nos- the 90s nostalgia worked so well on me like in every fucking way. Just because that was like my teen years and like all of the music i just kept laughing like i just like i'm just a girl in like the big battles <laughs> battle scene yeah and like nirvana playing in 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 the like the the other world where the the supreme intelligence thank you the supreme intelligence is like oh nice choice of music and i'm like yeah it is yeah but especially Cole over the credits yeah the moment where um where like they put the CD like the CD ROM in and they're all like what is happening like the people that aren't from that time are like what is yeah. happening and they're like it's loading right like Nick Fury's like it's loading and it's <laughs> like oh my god like I feel like that is funny for people who are of like younger generations who have heard about the way that technology used to be but for us we're like oh my god like I feel seen <laughs> right yeah um, I absolutely have been working on a Photoshop um, of me and Caro as uh, Marie and uh, Carol Danvers in that karaoke scene. So I'll be <laughs> debuting that very soon. What oh, wonderful. <laughs> absolutely. Favorite moments uh, in the film. I thought the tone was pretty great throughout. Sometimes with these movies, the humor can seem so forced, you know, so forced. And it's like, just scale it back a little. On the flip side of that is like the DC version, right? Which is this kind of like relentless grim dark, which I also don't want. But I thought the 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 tone that they struck and maintained throughout the film just worked for me. It was it was fun. It felt like um, there was an acknowledgement that there's something so fantastical and wonderful about watching things like this happen. It felt very, you know. I, I don't want to say childish because that'll give you, you know, the wrong idea. But it, there was a kind of childlike wonder that this film embraced that I absolutely appreciated. Yeah. You know, there was no attempt to, like, age it up with, you know, with kind of snark, um, you know, and like this smug self-awareness. Like, it was what it was. It did what it said on the 10. And yeah. I, I love that. I, I agree. So the the filmmakers, the, the this is a film is co-directed by Ryan, by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who 
Also, you know, made a film, um, I guess, uh, in, wow, 2006 now. Holy cow, it's been that long. But in 2006, they made a film that got, got a lot of attention called Half Nelson. It's a, it's a film oh, uh-huh. starring Ryan Gosling as a, like a, a high school teacher with a heroin problem who, you know, strikes up a kind of unlikely friendship with, you know, a black female student. Um, and it's it's a really like I, I thought I think it's a really good film. And and it's a film that is very grounded in reality. Right. They these directors, um, this co-direct this filmmaking duo have a strength, I think, for, um, you know, for just uh, I don't know, making films, you know, even when they're funny or absurd or whatever the case may be, like they feel in some way grounded in reality. And I appreciated that, like there were shots in this film of like Samuel L. Jackson and his big clunky mid nineties car, you know, his nondescript um, uh, shield car. And I'm like, you know, this shot looks like, like it's hard, I, it's hard to articulate what I mean, but this looks like it's from a real movie. Like uh, um, as opposed to like, this looks like it's from this shot composition and everything like these are real filmmakers rather than just like director for hire people trying to make a slick looking entertainment product like this looks like it looks real as opposed to the way so many films feel overly overly shot or overly produced or something um just the way the way some pop songs can feel like overly slick and produced so that they kind of lose the the texture that might make them interesting like you see that a lot in movies too but this film didn't have that and i and i really i appreciated that about it i was reminded for some reason when before i walked into the theater about how these movies impact young folks and i think for me that framing was really valuable because i think if i went into it thinking this is a movie for adults i would be like meh Okay, whatever. But I was like, oh my God, if I was 14 or 10 or any age as a young girl and had something like this, like how powerful is that? And I think we're, that conversation is happening more in terms of how valuable representations are, especially to young folks. And like seeing all the seeing all the pictures of like little girls dressing up as Captain Marvel. Like I think when I was watching the the parts where she's like breaking free and realizing what has been done to her and really gain like like all like all the stuff about like you need to you need to squash your emotions your emotions are useless like i was waiting as the first time they said that i was like cool at the end her emotions are going to become really valuable right and like i love that and i love that that story and that narrative and that myth that is being shared of like don't hide who you are and don't try to like suffocate the way that you feel. Use it to empower yourselves and use it as a way to feel more confident in who you are. And so watching the physical manifestation of that, I think, is really because that that is a language that young people can understand until they get a little bit older and understand how that is uh, that is a. Um, oh, my God. What's the word? I'm like a for? metaphor. Yes. Thank you. That's a metaphor for like, you know, living your full life to your fullest potential. Um, I do wonder though, like there was a little bit of, she's so strong. (laughs) Like she, so one, she just like, I I do like that. There were a couple false starts where she's like, Oh, uh, about to fall. Oh, nope. Got it. Figured it out. But like, she's so strong that you're like, can anything take her down? Well, let's see. But I, I I definitely, I, I understand that concern, but also like, 
uh so i i this film at the very at the very end or like in the final moments right we see captain marvel kind of like hovering above the planet earth like looking down on the planet earth and i believe i don't know this for a fact but i believe that was a deliberate homage or reference or nod to the like the first two christopher reeve superman films where at the end you have christopher reeve as superman like out in like space flying over earth and because and i thought wow that is fucking awesome because because like we should have a, a, a you know a female like equivalent of superman right who's like so powerful almost that you don't even know what is going to be a threat to her. And of course, like Superman, there are threats to Superman, sometimes like kryptonite. And, you know, he does find himself in real peril at times. But and I think we're going to see that in the next Avengers movie, too. Because, oh, I'm like, sure. It would that, be so like, boring if you had a whole movie where yeah. she's like, got it. I mean, she will <laughs> definitely play an, a very crucial role in saving the day, but it's not going to be it's not going to be effortless. Um, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I have to say, I have loved seeing social media explode with folks who've seen Captain Marvel and crucially seen the mid credit scene, which I won't spoil here, but reacting to it in the context of their anticipation for Avengers Endgame, because that matchup between Thanos and Captain Marvel is going to be dope. And I love how excited um, people are for this. Yeah, I mean, you can talk about Captain Marvel being like, in some sense, you know, it's hard not to imagine her as being, you know, overpowered, as they say. But I think the more we learn about her, I, I trust the filmmakers at this point to give us, you know, um, uh, the kind of like tension between those two, um, those two foes in, in the final film. I can't stop thinking about the people's whose job it is to write out all of these threads and make sure that each <laughs> like each franchise fits within the larger franchise that they're putting mm-hmm. together like whoever's fucking job that is the, oof the marvel cinematic universe bible like the the tome that yeah. they must have to maintain continuity through all this stuff must be like just ginormous volumes yeah just volumes i want to go back to something you were saying anita about like the physical manifestation of um of this character because one of the things that i oh my god i love so much about this was the way she fought one of the problems that i have with um with female heroes female fighters and a lot of you know action movies superhero movies etc the insistence on being sexy while fighting is both troubling and irritating to me. And this often, you know, you can see it in the fighting style and the way that certain fights are choreographed. So whether it's, you know, a woman fighting with another woman or a woman fighting with a man, there seems to be, um, and if I'm wrong about this, feel free to hit me up at Anita Sarkeesian on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but there seems to be, you know, like the, the fighting style emphasizes like sort of balletic movements, right? You know, like this sort of grace and beauty in the fighting style, as opposed sometimes just like brute force or, you know, like physical power. I loved how Captain Marvel fought in this movie because I was entirely convinced that she could kick some ass and that, you know, the notion of whether she was hot doing it was not a concern. I also loved that her her outfit, how completely covered she was, which is not to say she didn't look gorgeous. Yes, no, see, that's what you know? I want to say is like, for but, me, but, 
you know, uh-huh. as like as a queer woman, like I, you know, I was actually thinking about that during the movie. I was thinking like, wow, you know, she's really for the most part, you know, she's not like framed in super male gazy ways and she's just wearing like t-shirts and jeans a lot of the time or whatever. And I'm like, wow, to me, she is she is like way more attractive because she's kind of presented almost as a, as more of a full human being. She's way more attractive to me in this film than than any number of like women in films where they are there to serve as you know as sex objects or to or or they're framed in a kind of really male gazy way than mm-hmm. those women ever are and, um, yeah and the fact that her boots had flat soles i cannot tell you how excited i was that her boots had no heel I am yeah. so sick of women having to fight in heeled boots or platform shoes or whatever. And I'm like, that's the stupidest fucking thing. And yet there's this insistence upon it as part of like the female hero's costume. I do not care if you can fight in heels. If you would not fight in heels, given the choice. So the fact that she wore those like ass kicking boots, loved it. I, I think that we we didn't at all talk about Brie Larson, which we I wish we had more time for because um, she I I've. I think Brie Larson is an amazing actor um, and she I thought it was a little bit weird casting just because I've seen her do very serious drama work. Um, but I think that part of what you're talking about in terms of the male gaze is really also a testament to how well she played the character because there was a sort of vulnerability in the toughness. There was a... Um, uh, she like she wasn't trying so hard to be a caricature and she really brought a humanity to the role in a way that I think helps a lot with how she was presented as a fully constructed human. So shout out, Brie. You're amazing. Let's be best friends. Yeah. And, and and so to go back to, you know, what you were saying earlier, Anita, about this film resonating with like young people um, in my screening, there were, uh, you know, high school aged people of, you know, various genders and, I definitely like after the movie when they when that group was like on their way out, I definitely heard a lot of the, you know, the boys in that group, like expressing a lot of enthusiasm for the movie. Like they were they were like, wow, you know, that was awesome. They really liked it. And, um, you know, like, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I I, I it, it's hopeful to me to think about a possible future in which boys and men Grow, you know, or grow up being much more comfortable with the notion of female heroes as well, right? And and I hope that I hope that films like this can, you know, uh, in addition to, of course, the the much more crucial work of giving women, you know, and young girls um, heroes that make them feel seen and represented, you know, I, that would be a, a a good sort of side benefit as well. Yeah, totally. Uh, I have one last thought. I have so many more thoughts, so we ma- we have to devote at least part of the bonus. To, you mean the freaking the freaking after party? The freaking after party. And so, if you are not a backer, <laughs> you can hear more of this conversation in our freaking after party if you join our podcast community at patreon.com slash femfreak. All right, my last thought here: the scene where you see her fall down and get back up at the end, like towards the end of the movie, yeah, reminded me so much of something that happens in Buffy. And I'm not going to spoil oh, it God. because I still believe that one day Carolyn and Ebony will watch this fucking show. Oh, but yeah. like it definitely Dream on Dreamweaver. It definitely was reminiscent of this sense of like find the power within, find your own strength, don't let the world beat you down. 
get back up. And I loved it. So I am so glad that girls have this movie to look up to. And I'm glad it exists. And fuck your boycott. That didn't work. (laughs) All right. Let's move on to what's your freak out? Who would like to go first? I'll go. All right. For the second week in a row, I am freaking out about a podcast, another podcast. I don't know if (laughs) ultimately this means I'm sending people away from our podcast. No, add more podcasts to your listening diet. Uh, Today, I want to shout out The Nod, which is co-hosted by Brittany Luz and Eric Eddings. It is a podcast about race, politics, politics. culture, cuisine, education. It's just about so many things. And the the hosts are so knowledgeable, but also just really fun to listen to. I particularly want to shout out um, a recent episode um, called The Alchemy of Being Black. And um, so Brittany Luce talks to writer, staff writer from The Atlantic, Hannah Georges, who is um, an American, a Black American woman um, of Ethiopian descent. And she asks her what do you consider to be the blackest food? And um, and Hannah makes lasagna for her and she makes it in this, you know, very specific Ethiopian style. And it is just a fantastic rumination on like culture and cuisine and the role of colonialism and the ways that, you know, oppressed people, colonized people have repurposed and reshaped um, the cultural markers um, of the peoples who have oppressed them. It was just a really fantastic episode. And also the way she made that lasagna sounded fucking amazing. So anyway, shouting out um, the nod for my freak out this week. Um, And if I can have just a tiny half freak out, someone on Twitter... I think her name is at Charity Sunday tweeted <laughs> Hozier better have a section on his website called Take Me to Merch. And I honestly <laughs> I <laughs> peed. I actually peed myself. So I want to offer both of those free counts for the week. Moving on. Um, Carolyn, All right, <laughs> what's hello. your freak out? Um, this is one of those freak outs that's like uh, it's 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 sort of a morbid freak out, but I mean it's it's one of these situations where, uh, you know, things generally speaking are so terrifying and relentlessly uh, awful that you know you have to kind of laugh once in a while at at some of the absurdity inherent in it, or you're you know like it's healthy maybe as just a form of release to find the opportunity to laugh even in the midst of of everything being awful all the time and so you know our press our president um Who's you know, president? recent i don't even know what the event was and i i resent uh tim cook of apple for ever being you know in the president's presence to help him with anything um but uh, you know there was a a, a, a some sort of thing recently where where Tim Cook of Apple was sitting next to the president and, um, you know, and there were cameras and reporters and stuff pres- present. And um, and the president said, you know, he said um, uh, as he was kind of moving on, he said, thank you, Tim Apple. And <laughs> and then, though, like later in the week, what I think, what elevates this to like another <laughs> level of hilarity for me 
is that he, at some event with like donors at, I don't know, Mar-a-Lago or something, he actually told people like out loud that he said that what he actually said really fast was Tim Cook of Apple and just like the mic just only picked up Tim Apple, which is just so blatantly a lie that it's almost like hilarious that he cannot let the, that the slightest uh, uh, little like idea of that he might've misspoke or whatever go by without making it so much worse by trying to say that it didn't happen. But it's also like, to me, it's kind of scary uh, as so many things about the president are in the the sense that, oh, he's so used to having the sort of power to just say that the world is a certain way um, and not being questioned or challenged about it by the people around him, that that sort of thing just comes second nature to him. That He just sort of, I'm, I think, probably just says that stuff automatically without even thinking about it um, because that's the world that he lives in and uh, and always has lived in. And anyway, um, our president is... A clown, a terrifying, terrifying clown who has done so much harm, um, and but a clown nonetheless. Agreed. Yeah. All right. My freak out this week is uh, a book I just finished called American Heiress, The Wild Saga of the Kidnapping Crimes and Trial of Patty Hearst by Jeffrey Tubin. Wow. Um, all right. This book is wild and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. So if folks are interested in like, historical crime stuff uh it's it's a it's a non-fiction book it is legitimately about patty hurst and how she was kidnapped and then basically was recruited into a revolutionary group and uh it's just like you every moment you think it can't get more and more bizarre and it just it's fascinating so i want to share a brief story out of it um because it actually is related to some of the work that we put out recently, weirdly enough. Um, so the SLA is the organization that kidnapped Patty Hearst and then recruited her to join them. They are a batshit group that I you just have to read the book to learn more about. Um, and they were held out in Los Angeles in this house. And there was a shoot off with the police Um, Not all of them, but a lot of the SLA members were in this house and they refused to give up. So what's interesting about this story is that this is the first time that there was ever a live recording on location in the news. So this was the very, very first incident. And because of the way it all uh, because of the way the technology worked out, there's a whole story around it that every single news station had this live feed. And so. Thousands and thousands and thousands of bullets were shot between the LAPD and the SLA. Eventually, what happened was the house caught on fire and they burned alive. So the first time that there was ever fucking (laughs) there was ever a live news feed was this horrific incident that occurred. Right. Um, But what's interesting about this to me and part of why I'm sharing this is not just like oh, new technology, whatever, is that the guy who was in charge of the SWAT team that was that was the ones who responded to this incident um, was Daryl Gates. And if you recognize the name, Daryl Gates was a um, was was a was the was a LAPD police chief who was disgraced and 
kicked out, <laughs> basically. And he went on to make video games <laughs> with Sierra Online. And if you watch our Queer Tropes series, one of the episodes about homophobia and transphobia include a game that he worked on that has some of the most horrific uh, examples of violence against trans folks. Yeah, it's like, I, I, I don't know how much like what he actually contributed to the game. It certainly bears his name, but his politics, like his philosophy as a police chief runs just through that game completely. And you can feel it in that game's just, you know, like it's transphobia and it's, it's racism and just everything awful about it. Yeah. It's terrible. It's really terrible. Um, But this book is fascinating and so wild. And not only it covers like, the kidnapping and what they did, all of the crimes, but also the trial and like how Patty Hearst dealt with that afterwards. And anyways, if you're interested in history, I recommend checking it out. Uh, This week, we also have a listener freak out from Anna. Hi, my name is Anna. And this week I'm freaking out about the Netflix series, Sex Education. It's a series set in the UK starring a teenage boy named Otis, whose mom is a sex therapist. So he decides to pull a Charlie Bartlett and opens a sex clinic at his school where he doles out sex and relationship advice in exchange for money. And hilarity ensues. Two things I particularly loved about this series are how surprisingly diverse the characters are and the quiet and complex vulnerability with which they're portrayed. Um, Being a teen show, it could have relied a lot more heavily on stereotypes and tropes, but it was, at least in my opinion, a bit different and more in-depth with how it portrayed them, which was really refreshing. Not to mention, it is absolutely hilarious, and as a therapist myself who happens to love talking about sex and relationships, I feel like the show is made for me. So that's my freak out. Thanks so much, Anna. I also really enjoyed sex education as well. If you want to include your freak out in our show, you can do that by heading over to feministfrequency.com slash freak out. That's F-R-E-Q-O-U-T. All right, y'all, that is our show. You can catch us back here every single Wednesday. Stay tuned for the freaking after party, which is only available to backers of this podcast, which you can be so easily if you just head over to patreon.com slash femfreak. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. And when you're up in space without a mask because you are super powered and you're hanging out with Carol Danvers, tell her that you really like this podcast and maybe she'll tell all of her friends and then it will be a whole thing where everybody listens to our podcast. How about that? Wow. You can check out all of our work and our other podcasts at feministfrequency.com and be sure to follow us on Twitter at Femfreak to stay up to date on all of the news. I can be found at Anita Sarkeesian on Twitter. I'm Carolyn Michelle. I am at Samuel L. Jackson's wig. Ooh. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like it either. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music, technical support by Sarah Norales, production assistance by Taylor Simmons, and art by Jamie Varon. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Later. Bye.